There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Cart Cross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cart Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street or cartmacrosscu.ie. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 14th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Anyone found drink driving is automatically disqualified from driving. This follows a change in the penalties for drivers who have less than 80 milligrams of alcohol per 100 milliliters of blood. Drivers over that limit have always been put off the road, but up until last October, failing a breath test resulted in a fine and three penalty points if the driver's alcohol level was below 80 milligrams. Since then, a breath test reading of between 50 and 80 milligrams puts you off the road and a three-month driving ban is automatically applied. Publicans who are meeting in Cork today for the Vintners Federation of Ireland annual conference say automatic disqualification is too harsh and ignores how difficult it is to live in the country. Pora Cribben is the chief executive of the VFI. Yes, Michael, the the, the background to this is that... um the, the most recent changes in the drink driving legislation have led to a lot of fear in rural Ireland. Uh, and people in rural Ireland are a lot more dependent upon their cars than people in urban Ireland because we don't have darts, we don't have Lewises, and in many cases we don't have taxis. So uh, up, to the, up to recently, uh, if you were caught between 50 and 80 uh, in, on, the, on the blood alcohol level, mm. on the first occasion you got a... a, a fixed penalty and, uh, and, and points. But now you get an automatic three, month, uh, three months off the road. And what a limited licence is, it allows for somebody, and, and there's a couple of important things, it allows for somebody who has been convicted, that's the first thing, uh, to apply for what's called a limited licence where extreme hardship would apply if they weren't able to, to drive, say, to and from work. Hmm. So it's not an open... Uh, it's not an open book to drive anywhere you want, any time you want, any day you want. So that's the limitation. That the, the limitation, the limitation is very much around uh, where you can drive, the times you can drive, etc. And it is to it is uh, an effort 
to stop reasonably undue hardship falling on people who have been caught just marginally over the limit. Okay, so you may be allowed to drive from half eight in the morning till half nine in the morning so that you can get to work for nine o'clock, let's say, and something similar then in the evening. Uh, Absolutely. Or it may be if you were caring for um, uh, an elderly person or uh, um, a person that that with with special needs that needed, needed attention, that you could drive them, say, to and from uh, hospital appointments or something like that. So it's it's very limited. Mm. Uh, it's very limited. Number one, it is confined to those who um, would be on 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 a first offence. In actual fact, in places like New Zealand and in and in many states in the USA, uh, it's much more liberal than that. Uh, on the basis that we, as a country, have become a lot less liberal in some respects, uh, we thought it was best to confine it to specific areas at a specific times uh, and of course it c- could only be uh, it could it could only be given by the courts so it's not something that uh, it's, it's it, that would be open to political patronage or anything like that but this is allowing people who've been caught driving over the drink limit uh, uh, allowing them to drive it is specifically that. It is somebody who has been uh, in that bracket that until recently has been a fixed penalty notice. Mm. Uh, uh, it, it, it is allowing them to drive in specific given circumstances. Why do we need to do that, though? Why don't we just uh, say, we need to do it very don't simply. drink and drive? Uh, we need to do it very simply for two reasons, Michael. We need to do it because there is no semblance of a system of transport in rural Ireland. Uh, that's um, uh, very probably the, the, the most important reason. Mm. And uh, the other reason is that government have consistently failed to put a proper information system in place so that people can have a reasonable chance of knowing whether they're going to be over the limit the following morning or not. And it's, it's primarily around the following morning mm. that this is an issue. But and I- if, if both of those things were in place, uh, and we're not looking for uh, or suggesting that we should have say, the dart going all the way to Dingle. Hmm. Uh, there are opportunities around local hackney licences that the National Transport Authority have said they will simplify uh, uh, access to. But they said that back in, in March, uh, sorry, back in February of this year. And, of course, they re-announced it last week as if this were something new. In, in the intervening three months, they've obviously just sat in their hands. Hmm. Uh, there are a lot of local initiatives being undertaken by communities uh, that deserve support. The reason why a lot of them are not getting off the ground is because of the prohibitive cost of insurance. Again, the government have sat on their hands on the whole insurance issue, not just for the last three months, but for the last three years. And we see we see various businesses closing right across the country because of the insurance issue. Be that as it may, and understandable as it is that publicans would like people to drink alcohol, surely from a road safety perspective, the best message of all is don't drink and drive. There's, there's two issues. It's not just about drinking alcohol. What we have also is a lot of rural isolation. And, and we're, we're not contesting what you say about not drinking and driving. Uh, the big problem is is that people do not understand uh, if, for example, uh, I go to the pub tonight, mm. I have a few pints tonight, and I'm going, ho- I'm going home at, at, say, 10 or 11 o'clock, there is absolutely no reason why I shouldn't drive tomorrow morning. But there is a fear factor there, and it's a fear of the unknown, because the information systems that are required have not been put in place by government. But then... 
if you're right in the argument that you're making, which is uh, the length of time that it takes to process alcohol in the body, well then surely there's no need uh, for a limited licence system because people won't be over the limit that's, the following that's morning. Specifically, that's specifically the need for limited licences because the, what, what, what has happened is that there is no information system and without that information system in place, that fear factor remains for the following morning and, 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 and people are confused yeah. and, and, and sometimes, sometimes Michael, in the real world when people are confused, they take a chance maybe that they, through ignorance rather than anything else, where they think they're all right and they're just marginally over that limit. And bear in mind, it is for mm. people who are marginally over that limit that we're talking but about. But you're telling me that if you go to the pub tonight and have three pints, uh, that you should, by all accounts, be fine to drive tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if you have ten pints, maybe you won't. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. Mm. But the, the anecdotal evidence suggests now that people are afraid to have a glass of wine tonight at six or seven o'clock because they're driving tomorrow morning. But the people who would be entitled to a limited licence are not the people who have a glass of wine, it's the people who have ten pints, is it not? No, it's not the people who have ten... I mean, if you have, if you have uh, ten pints tonight, if you take all the medical evidence, it's going to take approximately 20 hours for that ten pints to get through your system. Uh, it's the people who might have had four or five pints, uh, three or four or five pints, uh, and uh, they're, they're driving at eight or nine o'clock the following morning, and... Um, they, they assume that they're okay, but and, and obviously all of us uh, process alcohol differently. Mm. So it's in it's in that context. And it, you see, this system it's not revolutionary in the sense that we've just invented it. It works very well in New Zealand, which is very similar in terms of size, in terms of terrain, uh, in terms of population to us, and it works very well. In, in many states right, right across um, America. Does it work well in sending out the right message to people? I mean, if you look at the front page of The Star today, they have a story about a Garda who was dragged along by a drink driver. The Garda held on to the passenger door handle and this fellow took off at high speed in Tipperary last Friday. The Garda is in hospital. He's very badly injured. Yeah, and I suppose, I suppose you could say that's the result of drink driving uh, and if you're sending out a message like this could you be accused of condoning drink driving we don't uh, we don't condone drink driving uh, have never have done uh, never have done and won't do uh, but the, but the reality is that there is a gap in the information process there's a gap in in the intelligence that a government are not prepared uh, to fill that gap mm. and in the absence of that we're saying that, look, this is a system that can and will work. But you're also saying there's no need for it, aren't you? Sorry? You're also saying that there is no need for it. In reality, that there is no need for it. I mean, the argument you've been making on one hand is that if you drink responsibly, you go to bed and get up after a good night's sleep, after having a glass of wine or two or three or four pints, I think you said, you should be fine to drive so you won't be taken off the road. Uh, the, the people you're talking about are people who drink to excess. No, the, the, if, if, if this is very much about somebody who's marginally over the limit. Uh, and, you know, this, this law was good mm. here for the last uh, 10 years. It was good here for the last 20 years where people got a, um, a, a, a penalty point mm. and a fixed fine. Uh, Shane Ross, in his wisdom, has decided to change that. Uh, obviously, not just Shane Ross, but Shane Ross in conjunction with, with uh, the government parties. Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's for those people who may be marginally over, 
uh, that this should apply. Well, to explain to us how you'd find yourself in that situation. At, uh, around now, at around nine o'clock in the morning, if uh, the guards pull you in and breath test you and you're marginally over, uh, what would you say you had to drink last night? Uh, it depends on the metabolism of each individual. I mean, if you take it, uh, for me, uh, it could be uh, X number of drinks. For you, it could be either X minus or X plus. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the absence of the guidelines that's a serious problem. Mm. But is it possible? I mean, given that it, it differs from person to person, is it possible to give guidelines? Well, you know, if you, if you go on the HSE website, uh, they actually give guidelines on the website, but, they're not, uh, but government are not prepared to do anything more than stick them on a website that a lot of people might or might not have access to. Which is to allow an hour for every two units of alcohol. And <laughs> I presume that would cover everybody, more or less, uh, so that a lot of people uh, wouldn't need as much time. So uh, uh, at a, a maximum, it's two... No, they do say, in fairness, they do say it's, it's an hour on average. Right, for every two units, which is a, a pint. So no, if you have four hour, pints... It's an, hour, it's an hour per unit, right? And a mm. pint a pint is two units. Mm. So it's two hours, it's two hours for a pint. Mm. Uh, it's an hour for, for a measure of spirits and it's an hour for uh, a small glass of wine. So if you have four pints, you should be able to drive in eight hours. Absolutely. Mm. But for, for, so for if you left the pub at 11 o'clock last night and you're driving at 9 o'clock this morning, you shouldn't have anything to worry you about. Sh- you shouldn't, but if you're driving at 7 o'clock and you happen to be one of those whose metabolism is, is, is slightly on the, on the lower rather than the higher side, mm. you might just find yourself marginally over. Well, you're out very late drinking a lot if you're up at 7 o'clock. Oh, if you're out very late drinking a lot and you're up at 7 o'clock, it's very simple, you shouldn't drive. Mm. Well, that's the point, isn't it? Uh, and that's the idea of the automatic disqualification because you shouldn't drive. Uh, the government is saying, well, we're not going to let you drive if that's the way you do behave. That's true. But, you know, uh, if, if, if I was out and did act uh, what I personally thought was responsibly on the night, uh, but unfortunately my metabolism was slightly different to the average and I'm marginally over uh, I'm marginally over the following morning. Mm. It's in those kind of circumstances that this license would kick in. Uh, and, and, and that's where it's actually operating. That's how it operates in other jurisdictions where it's in place. And, you know, the world in, in, in those jurisdictions hasn't fallen apart. OK, and that limitation on where and when you can drive would last for the duration of uh, the three months that you'd have been qualified. Yes. And, and it would um, only be available to you once. Okay, uh, a first offence. Yes. Okay, uh, and what after, about after that? Uh, after, a sec- that after that, basically, if, if, if you find yourself in the same situation again, uh, you end up uh, three months off the road. All right, interesting stuff. Uh, you'll have a, a busy time uh, with uh, your conference uh, there today. Uh, what's uh, the mood uh, amongst publicans? Uh, it's uh, probably a, a better world in some ways, uh, given the upturn in the economy, is it, Parik? Well, it's a difficult it's a difficult scenario. Certainly, that legislation has has, has caused a lot of issues. Also, you know, the the, the cost of doing business in the in, in the country is increasing uh, at a phenomenal rate. Uh, insurance is a major a major problem for anybody, uh, for all small businesses, but particularly where you're exposed to people coming onto your premises. Uh, insurance is a, is a very significant issue for uh, for our members. Uh, another issue that government have been sitting the, sitting on their hands on. But yes, I mean uh, th- there is there has been um, uh, an upturn in the economy. Uh, but I think it's also you need to be very clear: the upturn in the economy is not evenly spread. Uh, it's 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 very strong if you take a line from 
uh, Michael, from where you're sitting in Drogheda, across uh, what generally was uh, uh, described as the pale, mm. uh, it's it's very different there than in a lot of areas around the country. Uh, tourism certainly is 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 a help. But then you have the, 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 the major cloud of Brexit hanging there, not knowing what's going to happen. That's having a significant effect in border counties in particular. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the, the relative strength of sterling. So while there is optimism, uh, there are opportunities. There are certainly very significant uh, challenges and threats. OK, Parik, thanks for joining us on the line from Cork Thank this you, morning. Michael. Parik Ribbon is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing uh, this morning, uh, the Minister for Justice, Charlie Flanagan, is uh, to bring a memo to Cabinet uh, to look for changes in terms of how the state will deal with cases of famicide in years to come. Uh, Kevin Doyle is reporting on this on the front page of uh, the Irish Independent and joins us now. Good morning to you, Kevin, and thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us. What, what is famicide, first of all? Famicide, in in very broad terms, is when a member of a family is killed by a close relative. And I suppose in Ireland we have seen a number of cases over the last few years. It is rare, uh, it has to be said, uh, but there have been some very, very tragic cases. And when they occur, uh, they tend to dominate the news for for several days at a time. Um, And most people will be very familiar with the case of Clodagh Hall and her tree uh, young children, Liam, Niall and Ryan, who were killed in August 2016 uh, by her husband, Alan, and it is her family that have been campaigning for changes in how the state deals with cases like these. Right. Uh, why so? Um, effectively, they, they have found that when uh, Cloda and the, and the children were, were killed, that in some ways they were frozen out uh, from from what was going on. They weren't giving, given enough information. They were learning things uh, about what was a particularly gruesome uh, set of killings from the media. Um, they were finding out second-hand information. And one of the things which her family had said was that uh, at points the guards were telling them that they were asking too many questions and they were reading too many things in the newspapers. Um, and so they feel that really the family were kind of pushed into the background. Here, Obviously, an investigation has to take place. Um, there are There are things that I suppose... The, the state services uh, kick into action in a scenario like this because everybody wants to know why it happened uh, and I suppose the, the, the how it happened um, and, and that was taking precedent over perhaps the feelings of the family. So to try and find a balance uh, of those two things that Charlie Flanagan will bring this memo to Cabinet today and what he's going to essentially ask uh, and he will be given uh, support from his colleagues is that he can appoint uh, a, special, a specialist to carry out um, research in this area, focusing on two things, one being the, the provision of supports for families um, and the second one being the application of domestic homicide reviews, which is not something that takes place here at the minute, mm. uh, but are common in other jurisdictions. Right. Uh, and uh, the reviews that have taken place in other jurisdictions cannot be transposed into Irish law. That's part of the problem, which is why the Minister has uh, set a, a, about uh, putting in place a review here uh, for this country. That's right. Uh, the, the, in, in England and Wales, for example, they have the, the, the government or the, the Department of Justice more so have looked at how these are dealt with in, in both England and Wales. Um, and what, what a domestic homicide review is, I suppose, just to explain, is that it's a multi-agency review of what happened, um, of the build-up uh, to, to such a tragedy. Uh, were state agencies like the HSC or TUSLA involved? 
uh, were concerns raised? Were there red flags? Should it have been spotted in advance? And could anything have been done? Um, and then the Garda response afterwards. They're the things that are looked at. They looked at the, the, the British system and they spoke to a number of the non-government organisations who work in this area um, and they have effectively decided that there's a lot they can learn from that but it won't work in the Irish jurisdiction. Um, one of the things that I was pointed towards is the fact that obviously in the UK they have a lot of they have a very different structure around how the police work and different the, uh, the the breakdown of police in different parts of the country. Um, so they will have to come up with some sort of legislation to make it fit and be tailored for for how it might work in Ireland. Mm. Uh, and is that in the hope of preventing disasters like this? Uh, I mean, uh, I think everybody was horrified uh, and would always be horrified uh, because of the scale of the killing uh, with four people dead uh, and uh, people then starting to wonder what was going on in Alan Hawes' head. Indeed, there were an awful lot of questions uh, about uh, what he was uh, doing and uh, if he had compromised himself in some way, I think. I'm not sure if those questions were answered, but is the idea of these reviews so that there could be intervention to prevent him from carrying out what he he, he did uh, to Clodagh Hall and her children? Yeah, and, and part of the the, the, the problem that, that Clodagh Hall's family have is that they are left with so many unanswered questions, some of which you raised there around what was happening in the background here with Alan Hall. Um, and yeah, the idea of these reviews is, I mean, th- this tragedy has happened and, and there we say it, there will probably be other ones like it in the future. Um, you can't put a blanket prevention, but it would be that the state agencies would learn from the experience. So if if there was something missed along the way here, if there was some support that could have perhaps been given to the family that might have uh, changed things along the way, is there changes in legislation, for example, that, that could, could have provided more protection uh, to a family like this? That's the kind of scenario is that when something like this does happen, that rather than go, that was a tragedy, uh, have the inquest where the bare facts uh, are recorded uh, for, for official purposes and then move on, this will be more that you would go back and actually assess how did this come to pass and how could it be prevented in the future. And that perhaps uh, in some circumstances uh, that uh, alarm bells might signal another action. Uh, And uh, I think this is uh, the type of thing that the National Women's Council of Ireland uh, and indeed Women's Aid have been calling for for some time. They have, yeah. And it's all about a multi-agency response. So it's that the different arms of state would be talking to each other uh, would be have an understanding of the role that each other have in scenarios uh, like this and that they would be able to to work together to prevent things like this. And we have seen failings in the past. And I think the very fact that the Justice Minister is bringing uh, this proposal to Cabinet today is as good as an admission uh, that there have been failings in the past and that the state needs to do better and to have better guidelines and protocols in place. It's next to impossible to try and understand uh, what the family have gone through in this uh, terrible tragedy uh, but Mary Call uh, Clodagh Hall's mother and indeed her sister Jacqueline Connolly really have uh, brought this to the attention of uh, the public and have been uh, very prominent in how they've addressed it They have, they really have it, 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 they, they first appeared on the, the Clare Byrne live show on RTE uh, a few months back and then Jacqueline Connolly wrote uh, a very long and emotive article in the Sunday Independent, which is I only reread yesterday. And even to go back and read it um, at this remove, um, it was still um, really, really striking and how she described uh, a lot of what was going on at the time and the fears the family had. Um, and then getting down into even things like, and, and this is one of the things that the mm-hmm. review is going to look, is the role that the media and social media plays in all of this, uh, in Michael, because obviously it does, these cases do get huge. 
um, publicity. And, and one of the things that the family noted was that they came under attack by keyboard warriors uh, in the days after the tragedy because they allowed Alan Hall to be buried with his victims. Um, and one of the things that Jacqueline Connolly said that was in their stupor of, of grieving, literally within hours, they had to make all these decisions and they let it happen. And it was only a few days after the funeral uh, when they went back to the graveyard that they realised what they had done and that they, they didn't want him to be there. And he, his body was subsequently exhumed. But they, they, she talked about how they were attacked online uh, by people, which I think is, is, is vulgar in the, in the very least, the grieving Absolutely, family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that area is going to be covered by this. It's going to take 12 months for the review to be completed and then we'll get some idea of what can and can't be done. Okay. Well, uh, it's the beginning of a a long process, obviously, but a a very important process, uh, perhaps for a small amount of people and hopefully fewer uh, than has been the case previously in years uh, to come. But all the same, a very important issue for those who are affected, obviously. Uh, We've uh, the elections coming up in a couple of weeks and perhaps uh, you'd uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the ghost of the Fine Gael candidate, uh, which uh, people may have wondered uh, about because of how election posters seem to be fading in front of our faces. Yeah, this is this is one of my favourite stories. Elections always throw up the most random stories, and uh, this this is one of my favourites this time round so far. Um, which is basically in in large parts of Dublin, and I, I'm not sure whether up up your direction or no, not. There's Michael, a few up here, yeah. <laughs> they have them as well, do they? Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they 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 effectively the the, the the candidates' hopes are fading, literally fading away um, mm. before a single vote has been cast and what seems to have happened is Fine Gael had uh, a number of different printers were used for their posters uh, but at one particular f- particular facility there was a technical difficulty and they weren't quite uh, as finished as they should have been before they ended up on our lamppost uh, with the results that we now have uh, a lot of very yellow uh, looking candidates on our polls and some of those posters look like they, they, they could well be washed away before they actually get to polling day on May 24th Yeah, ghostly figures <laughs> it, 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 I, I've been told that they are being issued that the, the company is issuing them with new posters but I somehow suspect they ain't going to take down the ones that are already up there so we'll be looking at them for another two weeks Oh right and it might even lead to more posters going up on polls uh, see from uh, your article this morning actually that they're quite expensive five euro each uh, they're charged per poster Yeah and that that's just the basic some of them would be more than that uh, but they are in or around five euro per poster so when uh, people, I suppose, are driving or looking at them at the traffic lights and thinking, what a, what a, an annoyance they are. Somebody has spent a hell of a lot of money uh, trying to get their name out there and get their face up on that lamppost. Um, but I suppose most of them are recyclable now. And we've seen some candidates, uh, we're not too far away, I think, Michael, from a general election. So while these yellow ones uh, might not last for a general election, I think you'll be see- seeing some of them recycled in a few months' time. All right. What's uh, your thoughts on a general election? Well, I, I, I think we, we will probably get through a budget in October, but I think mm. it'll be very early next year. It all it all hangs on Brexit. It all still hangs on Brexit, even though we seem to have forgotten about it um, at the moment. But that will come back into our into our vision very quickly, I'm afraid. OK, very good. Thanks uh, for joining us, as always. Kevin Doyle is Group Political Editor with INM. That's Independent News and Media. 
On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In the European elections in this constituency, there are 17 candidates and in between now and polling day, we hope to speak to each of the 17 candidates. Today, we're joined by Dermot Mulcahy, who's an independent candidate to the European Parliament in this constituency, the Midlands North West constituency. Good morning to you, Dermot, and thanks for coming into us. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for inviting me. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, you're a, a native of Dingle. You're living in Galway, I, I think, at the moment. Probably not a, as well known to our listeners as some of the other candidates. So perhaps you tell us a, a little bit about yourself and why you've decided to put yourself forward in this election. Absolutely. And again, Michael, really, really grateful for the opportunity to speak here. Uh, how well known am I? Well, I've had a bit of a background in politics. I run in local elections for the Green Party, as it happens. I also was the chair of the National Council of the Greens when the Greens were going into government. So a lot of the ideas that came forward for the Greens going into government, I'd have steered that whole that whole uh, set of ideas. Um, in terms of what I'm doing currently, uh, I'm the current chairman of a body called the Council for the West, which is one of the primary lobby bodies for the West of Ireland. And I'm a former member of the Western Development Commission. I used to chair the uh, Community Forum in Galway, and I was actually the national chair as well of a Community Forum network. Uh, I have a huge involvement with community work going back probably 25 years. Um, So why am I running for the European Mm. Parliament? Well, there are a number of issues that I'm kind of highlighting in my literature. Um, Things around 5G uh, technology within the broadband debate, uh, public banking, which I think is a very important possibility for Ireland. Uh, I think the health service requires a major rethink and refocus, particularly the mental health services. Um, and I'm, I'm focusing on what we're calling climate change. Mm. Um, so one of my kids actually asked me, what am I doing about things a little while back? And uh, I said, well, look, I'll put my name forward. Um, mm-hmm. I'm and is it an opportunity uh, for you to raise uh, these issues and bring them to the attention of people? Or uh, do you see yourself as a, a credible candidate who can actually uh, affect change? Well... I've been asked those kinds of questions. Um, I actually think I'm a very credible candidate. I've a, a, a very good knowledge of what goes on in Europe. Mm-hmm. I've actually been able to affect change in Europe on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, was able to bring in what's called a minimum import price against non-European salmon coming into the European market on behalf of Irish producers a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. I know where to extract money from in Europe. Mm. Um, and that was a, face, uh, a case you fought uh, with the European Commission, wasn't it? Uh, absolutely. And it was actually upheld. So, mm. you know, I, it's, it's I don't mean to undermine your candidature, sure, sure, but sure. with 17 candidates in the race and some very high-profile names in the race, I'm just wondering if you believe credibly that you can take a seat. I actually believe I can. Mm. I yeah. believe I can. Um, just to explain a little bit about myself. Sure. I have a lot of experience in a lot of different things. Community, business, Europe. So what's Europe about? Europe is about listening to people, building networks that you can actually get on with other people, getting consensus on things, and then trying to make movement on things or trying to bring about change. So if you look at all those and you look at a number of boxes, Mm. I actually tick all of those. I'm actually very empathetic. I listen to people. On this this campaign trail that I've been on for the last number of weeks – but also the last long time in terms of years, because I've been very, very involved in all sorts of community activity for a number of years. And I like to think I'm a good listener. A lot of people tell me I'm a good listener. So 
the biggest things that I'm finding at the minute is people feel that they're not being listened to. People feel they're not being heard. And I'm saying here on, on live here online today, I'm hearing everything you're saying to me. I'm listening very, very carefully. I'm looking at what's going on. I'm getting a very good picture. Not that it's new, but I'm actually getting a very good sense of where people are at. Mm. And I get that people, I know people, people will talk about change. What does change really mean? In the current climate, people actually want to be heard. People want their voices to be heard. And I take very seriously the idea of being a representative for people. What's a representative? You actually go and you represent. So how do you represent? You listen. You hear. And then you act from that. So you're not doing this. This isn't about me. This isn't, this isn't an election for me. This is an election for people to get someone to represent mm. them. So are there high-profile candidates in this race? Sure. What about me? Am I as high profile as others? Not yet. But I think I'm a very, very credible candidate. Mm. And I'd be absolutely honoured if people would actually vote for me. Are, are you hearing the scientific evidence or opinion on uh, 5G technology? Uh, because uh, you've raised it as a healthcare issue. I think there's lots of issues uh, relating to 5G. Cybersecurity, uh, I think, is uh, the most prominent of them all. Uh, but I, I think the scientific community would say that there are uh, no concerns uh, over health as a, a result of this technology. That's an excellent question, and uh, I'm just going to open up a little uh, file on my phone here, which I have on silent, as you asked. There is a document called Resolution 1815 of 2011, Michael, which comes from the European Commission. And I could quote you a lot of what it says, but basically it's advising governments within the European Union about the health risks of Wi-Fi and 5G technology. And this came out in 2011, and it's actually instructing member state governments to advise and inform the public about the risks. It's quite a long document. There's Mm -hmm. about four or five pages in it, and it talks about the health risks. This isn't me talking about it. This is a committee which covers environment, agriculture, and there's a third. I I don't have the document open here in front of me. This actually comes from the European Commission, and it's advising national governments to inform people about risks. It's talking about brain cancer. It's talking about risks to reproductive sec- um, sections mm-hmm. of young women. Mm. It's talking particularly about risks to young children. Mm. That this needs this, to be this me- is the document. Yes, this, and that, it's actually that, a, telling governments, mm. please inform your people. Mm-hmm. But that need to be measured because of what are essentially radio waves. Correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So, scientific evidence. I have a, I have a document here which refers to... Uh, this is actually a, a, a number of scientific studies that have been carried out. Mm-hmm. This is just a reference document, mm-hmm. but would you like me to start listing? No, <laughs> there, are, there are lots of references on this. Mm-hmm. There's a very, very strong body mm-hmm. of evidence that says 5G wireless technology mm-hmm. can cause health risks yes. in people. So mm-hmm. that's and, why I'm speaking and out so about it. microwave ovens. Absolutely, but mm-hmm. I, would, I would make a point. You don't put your head into a microwave oven. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, a microwave oven. Yes, we all know what microwave technology. If you put mm. some food into a microwave, put in a raw piece of steak into a microwave oven and see what happens when you turn it on. It cooks it. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's what microwave rays will do to you. Mm-hmm. They will cook. And 5G technology in the wireless form yes. is a form of 
um, microwave. Mm. That's what it is. Yes, so yes. it it doesn't mm. take very and, much. Uh, uh, and, I, and I'm conscious. I'm, LMFM is sending LMFM is sending out many radio waves today. I hope uh, we're using them to carry your voice as well. Obviously, <laughs> I'm I'm simply I'm simply highlighting a risk. Sure. Mm. And if it was down mm. to me to make a decision and mm. highlight this issue, and I was asked about the future of all of our children. Children are much more susceptible to these risks than adults because the skull, the mm. brain, the, the actual bone density in the head is much less than it is as an adult, okay? okay. So I, mm. I, I can show pictures showing the effect mm. of radiation going into heads. Okay. It's, it's, not, it's not good. So I'm simply saying, look, we, there's, there, at, at worst, there needs to be much more debate about this. The debate is all about the cost and the rollout and all the rest of it. There's a massive mm. health concern. And, and, and cyber security, I think, is a there's real a, concern. There's, a, there's also that. Uh, tell us a, a little bit about uh, what you're saying about banks. Uh, you want to take uh, out of the commercial sector and uh, to have national banks, is it? Well, what we're looking for is we're looking for a system of public banks. What's that about? Existing in this country, we've got credit unions and we've got commercial mm. banks. The breakdown is about 95% of the, of the business is done through the commercial banks and about 5% with credit unions. What I'd love to see is I'd love to see a system where there's something in the middle. Credit unions can't give out commercial loans. Mm-hmm. Legis- that's legislated against. Commercial banks obviously do, but the commercial banks control most of the lending. If you look at Germany as an example. But you're Germany, talking about co-ops, are you, rather than nationalized banks? You're talking about banks that are actually in, under the control of the public. Mm. As an example, and I'll keep this brief, as an example, in Germany, you've got a system called the Sparkassen Banks. They control about 45% of the banking in Germany. You then have, um, like credit unions, about 25%, and the commercial banks is about 30%. So there's a very different balance in it. And as we all know, the German economy is very, very solid and very robust. So what I would like to see... And this isn't a, this isn't a, just an idea. There, this mm. is this is an idea that's actually developed over the last five to six years. There's been a discussion with the finance committee of the Dal, the Dal Finance Committee, mm-hmm. about this topic. This is about putting a system of public banks in place. I think it'd be hugely beneficial to people. It'll stand in alongside the credit unions and alongside the commercial banks, but it offers another huge opportunity to put money into the community and keep it in the community. Mm. In Germany, money stays local, and you don't speculate with it. But it stays local. And about 70% of businesses in Germany turn over less than a million mm. euros a year. And just explain to us how a, a vote for Dermot Mulcahy would realise uh, such uh, a, a thing. If, you, if, if I'm voted into the European Parliament, it gives me a stronger platform to work from. I'm going to speak out about these things anyway. These are things I'm really, really passionate about. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is coming across, but I really am. Being a member of the European Parliament gives me a stronger platform because it means that a number of people have decided they're going to vote for me. So a lot of the activity is obviously in Europe, but the agenda I'm talking about, obviously a lot of it's national, is to try and bring that then into the European context. But I would be speaking out very strongly about these issues. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Well, pleasure to see you. And thanks for coming into us uh, today. Unfortunately, our, our time has run out uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get to speak before polling day on the 24th. I'd love to. I, b- I believe I'm back here doing a debate actually with you. Great. So I look well, forward to that. We look forward to that. Thanks, indeed. Michael. Cheers. Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Dermot Mulcahy, who's an independent, independent candidate uh, to the European Parliament uh, in this constituency, the Midlands Northwest. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in uh, the local and European elections as 
as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties have selected which candidates to put forward or asked LMFM to select candidates by holding draws, while independents and others are being chosen to participate through draws. Today, we'll hear from four candidates in the Ratoth electoral area, each of whom will hope to take one of the seven available seats. After the break, we'll debate the issues with Maria Murphy of Fine Gael, Deirdre Geraghty-Smith of Fianna Fáil, Nick Killian, an independent candidate, and another independent candidate, Brian Fitzgerald. Michael Reed on LMFM. All right, our roundtable pre-election uh, debate in uh, the Rathoth area today with Maria Murphy of Fine Gael, Deirdre Garrity-Smith of Fianna Fáil, Nick Killian Independent and Brian Fitzgerald Independent. Good morning to you all. Thanks for coming in to us uh, today and uh, for joining us for the discussion. Deirdre Garrity-Smith, you're the only non-elected candidate with us uh, today, so perhaps uh, you'd tell us why you've decided to put yourself forward and why you're standing for Fianna Fáil. Yes, well, I'm running for election uh, to the uh, Meath County Council in the Ratoth local electoral area. And to be honest, I'm running on a platform of looking for increased investment in the area. I think that over the last number of years, there has been um, a bit of a lack of delivery in, in certain areas. And I'm a little bit concerned with um, planning, to be honest with you. Um, how planning has developed over the last kind of 15 to 20 years has been somewhat piecemeal. And I would rather a more sort of helicopter view approach taken to planning um, in the longer term. What's, but a, what's a helicopter What I mean view? by that is really looking at the community, what the community needs um, and basing any planning decisions around that. So right, okay. large scale yeah. planning developments would be put in contingent on putting in place the amenities that communities need like playgrounds, roads infrastructure, mm. um, public transport all of those kinds of things that you know we are seeing a deficit of in, in the towns in South East Meath and you know I think we're at So if you're risk. planning a, a project you look mm. beyond the site, is that what Absolutely. you mean by a helicopter Absolutely. view? Absolutely, okay, yeah right, very yeah. much okay. so um, mm-hmm. you know it's a more strategic approach rather mm. than kind of taking small infill uh, developments, you know, and towns just growing and growing and very soon you have dormitory towns, mm. you know, where for example, if you look at Ratoth, you know, the town in which I live, there's one playground in, mm. in that town and I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. The vast majority of residents in Ratoth are young families with young children. Every door that you knock on has young children mm. and dogs. There's no dog park in the area. In fact, we live in a semi-rural area and we don't even have a park. You're going so, to annoy all these uh, uh, elected councillors, you know, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's so. uh, fairly <laughs> strong, Chris. I'm not, I'm not sure if they can see it, but uh, I have no doubt they're not listening to you. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I think that the role, you know, obviously when you're challenging to, to take no, a but seat, is it a criticism of the sitting council? I'm mm-hmm. not here to criticise anybody or to canvass against anybody. I'm simply here to put forward, you know, what, what I see mm. are the needs of my community. And I believe that, you know, as a young person, you know, a homeowner living in this area, I'm going to be living in Ratoth for the next kind of 50 to 60 years. Mm. It very much matters to me how the area develops. And I really do want to see those amenities put in for the long term. And I also believe very much in long term sustainable community planning as well okay. and I actually think that we have a poor track record you know on that of, of community consultation right. and I'm not talking about mm. looking at plans for two hours between three and five in Meath County Council offices I mean proper on the ground consultation bringing in the community okay. and, well, and involving uh, them It's very strong criticism I think of the sitting councillor so let's talk uh, to uh, the person who's held office longest Brian Fitzgerald uh, of uh, the candidates with us but in Meath County Council uh, you're there since 1985 34 years you probably don't have a helicopter view is it a slow tractor view <laughs> yes, Michael, uh, there a long time and I've seen a lot of changes, mm. quite frankly. I think they're fair like criticism. I've seen though. the green fields mm. in Retort and yeah. the green fields. Mm. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ashbourne and various other areas and I've saw them developed and I saw the council in very bad state financially mm. uh, because we have been underfunded by successive governments continuously for many many years and it has created problems for us now I have seen the last five years uh, some hope for us in many respects I suppose because our economic aspect uh, base is beginning to grow. Like our our rates now has gone up to nearly forty million. Uh, we have the local property tax, which we're able to reinvest. Mm. We adopted recently, only about two uh, the last two meetings ago, uh, a capital program for the next three years, of which we're going to spend in the county, the region of a half a billion. Mm. And that will be spent on roads, it will be spent on community facilities, it will be spent on housing and other areas that's needed. But what up about Deirdre this, was saying? Uh, yeah, but up to this, Michael, we were not... You're building the houses without the green fields or the amenities. I think that's the type of criticism you were... Uh, no, like obviously, mm. we want to attract investment mm. into the county. Mm. It's very important that if we bring in... Uh, and we were fortunate with the Evoca, we're mm. fortunate now with Shire and Facebook. They're major calling cards for our district. Mm. We had nothing, mm. literally nothing by way of major uh, companies coming in. That gives us a, a greater rate base, but it also gives us a, a need for to provide accommodation for people who are going to live in the area. Mm. And if you have more people living and working within the community, in other words, have a, a working community, mm. rather than people commuting out every day as what's happening mm-hmm. currently, I think you will, have, you will continue to grow... And we have provided a lot of facilities with limited resources. I saw the time, Michael, we had a, we were, our revenue account was about 10 billion, yeah. or 10 million, I should say, that we, had, we were a, a deficit there. We have eliminated that. 
we're now in, in the position that we can actually borrow to do things that mm. we weren't in, in, didn't have the capacity to mm. borrow. We can do it now. But we have provided parks in, va- in various parts of the county. It's a big county, 904 square miles. And we all have to provide more know. jobs and so on. And with Absolutely. that, more demand. Uh, Miriam Murphy, as a, a result of that, you're living in uh, probably the most expensive area in the Louth Meath yeah. uh, region uh, in Retoth. Uh, and uh, I mean, whilst uh, you may be building more houses, they're as expensive as they are in Dublin, if not more expensive. Uh, and whilst the property tax might be bringing in some valuable revenue for Meath County yeah. Council, is it right that people in Retoth are, are paying property tax uh, that people in Kells benefit from? Well, I suppose as a councillor for Mead County Council, we have to take account of the county as a whole. And some parts of the county wouldn't be as, say, economically affluent as mm. other parts are. And South Mead, has, is, there's no doubt, has the the, the greatest, say, um, level of families, you know, mm-hmm. with a higher level of income and the value of the houses kind of re- reflect that. Um, I moved into Mead in 1998 during the housing explosion in the 90s. Um, I can see in a part where Deirdre came from with some of the comments she made and fair play to her for putting herself before the electorate. It's a very hard thing to do. Mm. To come back to the property tax, um, we it is a basis of getting income um, into the county. Um, we are at the moment, you know, it's been put on a mor- the moratorium on the current value for the next two years. Um, because of the increase in values in houses in the area, particularly in Dunboyne, I know our local residents are very concerned about that. Back around 2015, a four-bed semi in Dunboyne was running at about 250,000. Mm. At the lowest point in the recession, maybe 200,000. Now they're back up to 450. And people do have concerns about that. Um, I have concerns, concerns about it as a resident myself. I'd be paying property tax too, don't forget. Um, that's about all I can say in that point, I suppose. Mm. You know, we do have to take account of the rural areas when we're spending the money within the county. Um, there is an issue with the value on, with the way that... There's the, plenty of people who you represent who wouldn't know where they are, though, and would identify who, more so with uh, parts of Dublin than they would with parts of Meath. In Dunboyne, yeah, there would be a big connection with the people who'd moved into the area. There would have been a lot of mm. Dublin people who moved in. Um, but I suppose when we're out talking with the people and talking about local services and schools and parks and policing... We have to keep assuring them, and I do, that they are, we are actually working for Meath and mm. rates in the county and the income in the county of Meath is spent within Meath. Um, and I do my best to promote that um, economic mm. development, more, 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 um, more grants schemes for the community groups. Um, it's Meath we're working for and anyone who has looked come to live in Meath should be mindful of that. Nicolina, I don't know how many times we've spoken over the last five years uh, about housing and mm, problems related to housing, uh, but uh, it is a, a very expensive place to live if you can uh, afford it, uh, whether you're looking to buy or to rent, as the case may be. Very much so, and that was outlined in the DAFT.ie uh, report that came out yesterday. And, like, I'm a full-time councillor in Rathoth Village and uh, have an office there and I meet people on a daily basis. And uh, sometimes people ask me when they come in, why do I have a, a box of tissues uh, on my desk? And they're for the tears of the people who come in to me. Really? Um, and very upset 
because there is no social housing for them. They're, they can't get rental accommodation. They come, the actual uh, cost of rentals has gone way up. Mm. 1800 now for a three-bedroomed house in Rathoth. Absolutely daft, if you can get one, if you're lucky enough to get mm. one. So we've actually priced ourselves out of the market. And as, as you rightly say, you and I have spoken so many times on the whole issue of social housing and now affordable housing. And now we've put in a scheme which we uh, adopted yesterday very reluctantly as councillors uh, on the whole area of affordable housing, which is unimplementable at this particular point in time and to me is a discriminatory document. And it's based on a bill that was passed in 2009. And this was to try and help the very families that are coming to me mm. and coming to all of us as councillors mm. on a daily basis. And we, we are putting obstacles in people's way when it comes to the provision of affordable homes. On social housing, we are simply not building enough. All we have built in the last five years is 71 houses directly through Meath County Council. Mm. And I've been called a parrot by people at council level because I raise it at every monthly meeting, the whole issue of social housing. Mm. Yes, there is improvements coming along. Yes, we are constructing houses ourselves at the present time, which is probably about 349. But our list is 3,600. Maria Murphy, I don't know if you saw Alan Shatter on the telly last night, did you? I didn't, sorry, no, I was in another meeting. It's just uh, bizarre, I'm agreeing with Richard Boyd Barrett saying, yeah, no, Richard Boyd Barrett is right. The government is flawed in its approach to social housing. It's Lying in the private sector. I do think there is a big emphasis on the um, the housing bodies, and they are growing. There's a number of them that are very, very large, and mm. I, I do. And private landlords. And well, a lot. Some of the schemes, particularly in Dublin, the Dublin councils are a mixture of private bills and social schemes with the housing bodies. Mm. Um, in Meath, we've had an increase in the number of housing bodies coming to build in the county too because they can build more efficiently and they get funding from other streams. Yeah, that's people who are getting but social houses, but an yeah, awful yeah, lot yeah. of people are, are renting properties through HAP. Um, well, they can they rent through HAP, they get the assistance, yeah. the housing assistance mm. payment to enable them to, to, to have a home. And that's, but that's, that's exactly the point. That's the point. That's that is the, point the point that Alan Shatter was saying is the mistake the government is making. Right. Well, I suppose HAP has been and rent allowance has increased exponentially over the last more more than 10 years to a point where it's nearly well, that's a out bad of thing. control. It that's a bad thing. It is a bad thing in the long term. Yeah, it isn't a bad it, thing. In the, instead in, of building houses for people, well, we're uh, trying, we keep paying out more and more yeah, in yeah, rent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're trying to get to the point where we can build and increase the build. And I'm in local authority level. I'm not in the doll mm. at the moment. So I don't have um, any, any particular control over that policy. Um, you know, we can only build at a certain level. I know we have an issue with our land banks in the county, as Nick has said there. Um, that's going to limit us. The cost of land in South Mead mm. in particular is going to restrict us. We need to get the funding for that to move forward. But in the meantime, like we have to have people with HAP so they can have a home. If we didn't have HAP, but in, they would be on the street. In, in the meantime, the has been going on for an awful long time. Um, and uh, yeah. do you fault people if they hold Fine Gael responsible for that? Uh, well, I think that that's... I people have their view. They can they're entitled to their own view depending on their circumstance. <laughs> no, and I can see that. I, I can see. No, I mm. I actually I'd agree with Nick. I can see the st- the situation that people mm. are in. We have people who have um who have both working. Mm. You know, they mightn't be in high end jobs, mm. but they have working class. We would call them before not even yeah. working class jobs, and they cannot afford the rents at the moment. Mm. They're in a situation whereby. During the session and wages didn't increase, that's a whole other story in that in itself, but they, they don't have deposits. They can pay rent with HAP. They can, some of them can pay rent mm. without HAP. So they could pay a mortgage 
if they got a mortgage, but they can't save for a deposit. Yeah. Well, that's an example of that too. I mean, you know? we certainly have a crisis and I don't think anybody yeah. would disagree with that. I don't know yeah. what happened in the 90s or in uh, yeah. the noughties or whatever uh, you uh, call the first part of uh, the decade, Deirdre, but I, I take it Fianna Fáil didn't have any helicopters then. Well, when they stop building houses. I don't know about helicopters, but what I do know is that we've built almost double um, the amount of houses that the Fine Gael government during the same period had built during the, the, the time that we were well, in It was Fianna Fáil who stopped building houses. Well, Fianna Fáil has a track record uh, of actually building houses. Well, so Fianna Fáil stopped building houses and then the bottom fell out of the economy, so there wasn't the money when Fine Gael took over. They had an unemployment rate of 16%. Fianna Fáil policy and the position is mm. you know, to build local authority homes and really the housing crisis that we have at the moment is actually, it's based on two issues and, and actually, I mean, it's arguable that government policy has actually created the housing crisis. So we have two issues. We have one is a homelessness crisis and the second issue then is a housing crisis which is resultant of poor poor housing policy in mm. my opinion. And the first thing is obviously homelessness. You know, we have a serious problem. We have mortgage arrears wash out and we're simply not building enough local authority homes and we, we stopped doing that, you know, and people are on you know rising um, housing lists. You can see this across the country. Um, unfortunately there's, you know, 10,000 people on, on the housing list at the moment. Resultant of poor policy was the HAP scheme which came in and that um, we can basically see, you, the only way to describe that is plundering the private rental sector and that is create, creating a housing crisis then. So you have many people of my generation mm. who are neither in a position to either rent um, in around the commuter belt or in Dublin city centre where the you know the vast majority of jobs for, for my peer group anyway would be based and um, you know probably in the short to medium term anyway not in a position to ever buy a home and I think that is a real, real real uh, concern. I think there's a real long-term social issue going to emerge out of that and that is a direct result of Fine Gael housing policy. Okay, Brian Fitzgerald, is it or is it uh, Fine Gael housing policy uh, that followed on from uh, the Fianna Fáil legacy, do you think? Well, I, I, I blame both of them, Michael, quite mm. frankly, and i tell you why. They introduced some years back uh, what they call a core strategy. In other words, what happened was a local authority doing a county development plan, they could say that land there, Mr A's land, had to be developed before Mr B could build, develop. Well, if Mr A didn't develop, Mr B, Mr. B still couldn't develop. And uh, with there's pockets of that all over this county. And I think if you continue to make something scarce, you're going to make it more and more expensive. There is now a national planning framework that came out in the last uh, 12 or 18 months, the regional uh, spatial economic strategy followed on from that. There's a restriction on a county like Mead, mm. which is, uh, shall we say, it's part of the greater Dublin area. They're trying to ca- uh, cap the population, cap the economic development in the area. And that's something that is is ridiculous because there are people out there who want to build, should be encouraged to build. And whereas we do need more and more social housing, we do need more and more direct government uh, involvement in the... Uh, but you're going to also depend on the private sector to provide houses. And if houses can be... More houses can be provided. They can be provided at a better... At a lower cost, which will give young couples... Mm the opportunity, working couples who can afford to buy a house rather than rent. Because we're listening now to figures coming out on a daily basis where it's much cheaper to buy a house Mm. than to rent. Mm. And like for people being put into the situation of having to pay 15 or 1400 or 
1600 a month, yeah. they'll never be in a position to buy a house. But let's, Whereas if let, they, let's yeah. not forget that interest rates are very low as well. Big uh, pardon, Michael? Interest rates are very low as well. Absolutely, you know, yes. Uh, but I like mean, people a, will remember when interest rates were 16% and so well, on. Well, we all do. Yeah, way back. But these are the things that has to happen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's where you need yeah. government. And let's be honest about mm-hmm. it. The opposition sat back while yeah. the national planning framework was going through mm-hmm. and did nothing about it either. Mm-hmm. And you, so, you don't want to repeat those mistakes of uh, the past mm-hmm. either, where people take out loans that they can afford now, uh, but may not be able to afford them next year or in five years from now, Nick Killian. No, and... and from the point of view of people who are finding themselves even in difficulty, I had uh, a family with me last Friday, a very difficult situation, and these people were in their 60s, mm. and their house was repossessed in the court that day. So I don't want to see that happen into the future. I don't think any of us want to see that uh, repeated down the line. But part of the difficulty we have now is that in our particular Rathope Municipal District, we don't have a land bank. We have no land in Rathout to build any more social housing. We have no land in Dunboyne. Mm. We have a small piece of land left in Dunshockton. So we don't even have the land, even though Meath County Council has gone out and advertised. Um, but the actual cost of the land that people are looking for, it's back to the noughties again. Okay. And on top of that, um, the actual situation with just the, so the approved bodies, they seem to be able to develop and build more houses. Yet at the weekend, uh, one of the uh, European commissioners has indicated that they are prepared to give loans to local authorities to develop and build houses. So I think we have to take on board uh, what Europe is saying Mm. to us. And we also have a situation which goes to an earlier comment in relation to to the future development of our county. Mm. 913 houses were granted planning permission in Dunshockland recently. And while that will be a fine development, I'm sure, the infrastructure that goes with that okay. is not made available. Let, let, let me use that opportunity because our time is running out uh, to talk about infrastructure uh, and to move to a different topic because there's a big meeting taking place uh, tonight in Kells uh, to do with uh, the Airgrid North-South Interconnector. Brian Fitzgerald, just remind us of uh, that photograph. Uh, it was about 10 years ago at this stage. Uh, how do you turn on the lights? That's right. Mm. I held yeah. the tube in my mm. hand. Yeah. My daughter was with me, Katrina, the same night. And we held up, uh, there were only an 18-inch tube uh, under the, uh, and it was a 220 line. Mm. And they lit in her hand. Yeah, uh, and the reason and I'm mentioning is, is that, there to that, prove that was it. years ago. And here we are still, still talking talk. about it. Still and talking further about on it. from that, mm. Michael, yeah. we had a, an occasion where we had 40 four-foot tubes mm. in the field. Mm a week or two yeah. later and all of those tubes lit in our hands yeah. Right, Maria Murphy feel free in to interrupt at any stage over the next few minutes because uh, the NEPP uh, North East Pile and Pressure Campaign Group are saying vote anybody but Fine Gael because this is a Fine Gael project well, I think it's the project kind of precedes Fine Gael, the start of it, from my memory. But as a local public representative, I've supported the NEPP campaign. They had uh, a draw yeah. there a number it's of years a ago. I did. It's a government policy. Well, well, I yeah. it's it. Okay, again, come back to local authority. Like Paragor local authority, said yesterday, actions. Not words. This is this is this is local authority um, issues that we're dealing with here from Mead County Council. We've had a number of meetings in the council. We've had representatives mm. from NEPP in to speak yeah. to council. We've all expressed our concerns to them and what we want for Mead. Um, we all support undergrounding. Mm. We all support undergrounding. Nobody wants e- e- excessive. You violence. all say you do, and this, no, this is do. the point he made no, yesterday. No, we do. We have done. We have mm. made our. We have. We have talked to our. Policy. We have talked to our government TDs as much as we can. Um, but we have. We are local authority representatives. We have another. Po- mm. 
mm. we have another project coming down the ground um, our, my colleagues would be aware of it where we had a presentation from um, ESB Networks and there again a few mm. months ago to do with um, a new line which they are bringing across for me that will affect from Minute over That's to right, Woodlands yeah. to Dunboyne yeah. and they have reduced down their options again but again they are looking at increasing pylons mm. from 220 kV to 400 and they have, Nick, they Killian, have given us no, overhead so, and underground no, we again, not, These people yeah, are not listening yeah, mm. yeah. and it is government policy to push ahead very with, easy to with any PPP Absolutely. and we, we have said all along, mm. I mean, if they could bring the pipeline from Rush to Batterstown mm. uh, underground, which was done very speedily, very efficiently and very easily, this can be done as well with regards to the cabling of uh, the North-South mm. interconnector. And we fully support the NEPPP, even though it doesn't affect some of our areas. Oh. But we have to stand fast because if that happens uh, and, and air grid come in, I would be fearful of what would happen as a result of that. Uh, when action uh, starts to take place and a digger goes into some farmer's field, mm. I would fear for what might happen. Okay, Deirdre, you're, you're mm. a member of a political party. If it was your party that was in government, mm. would you feel it was okay to say, look, this is not a local authority issue, this is a national policy, so don't blame no, me? Well, I mean, I think the reality is it is a national policy issue, mm. but I mean, you can obviously have a view on it at, at local authority level. And I mean, the real concern is how it's handled, to be honest with you, mm. is that, you know, you can't say that you're having consultation with communities if you're not actually listening to what they're saying when you do consult with them. And I mean, the point is, you know, to agree with Nick... Mm that they're, they're simply not listening. Um, they seem to be just steamrolling, you know, through what the, the local communities mm. want. And I would have a real concern. I would support... But the frustration yeah. here, I think, that people Absolutely. feel is mm. that everybody mm. is saying exactly mm. that. And we could all sit here agreeing with each other forever and a, a day, yourself included, Maria mm. Murphy, of like, course. It would appear that Airgrid are going yeah. to go out and try and buy off the farmers. Mm. And, and that will split communities if that happens. Mm. And I think it's, it's something that they should have. It's, they went to court... They had their uh, success in the court. They established their rights. But that doesn't say they have to continue on that vein because they have to look at the, being realistic that if they expect to go through as many farms between here mm. and, and the north, I think they're in for a big, big shock. Well, what I don't well, want the farmers might be in for a big shock because it, it seems as though Airgrid feels it has the right to enter onto those lands. They have the right, but that doesn't say they have to avail of it. Mm. They have established their right, but that doesn't mean that they they have to to use that right in this instance. Because if they're going to upset communities, if they're going to mm. destroy the whole environment, and let's be honest about it, it is a beautiful county that we have mm. and I like I'm very close well, be to riots, wouldn't I'm very very mm. close to the, mm. to the uh, one in Batterstown mm. I see all the pylons that came in back yeah. in the mm-hmm. 80s mm. and that's what they've done and for it to start off again with another mm. line it's destroying the whole county mm. and why not if it can be done in other countries mm. and it has been proven to be done in other countries mm. successfully why the hell can't we at least sit down with the people and work out an arrangement that will have the the, the least impact on the whole okay. environment and mm. on the community. Okay. I've, I've run over time. I'm going to <laughs> finish with you, Maria, so Thanks, that you Mike. get the final say on this. Uh, but we'll go around the table and just ask everybody to wrap up for us very briefly and uh, maybe suggest to our listeners, Brian Fitzgerald, first of all, as to why they should vote for you. Well, I obviously I've been there for a long number of years. I have, a, I would hope, a proven track record. I also live in a, uh, in a rural area and I want to see the rural communities protected because under government policy currently, 
it's doing the direct opposite. They want to take the people out of the, the rural areas and put them into towns and villages. I don't want to see all of the clubs and all of the the organisations rural-wide. I don't want to see them dying. I've, you've seen them die in other parts of the country where people had to go by, through emigration. This county, we should be able to maintain all of those. There's over, okay. I don't know many, there's about 145 parishes in County Mead, okay. yeah. 60 GA clubs, mm. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we'd want to see them continue because without them, we will have nothing. Okay. And I think it was some famous politician or some famous man, I think it was Connolly, that once said, Ireland without its people means nothing. Mm. Mm, it was currently, I think. Uh, the other independent candidate beside you, Nick Killian. Well, I've been serving the community of Rathoth since 1982 in various uh, community activities. Uh, I was elected in 1999 and I've served the community well over that time and I hope I've made a difference by the initiatives that I've brought, the community centre, uh, the independent living, Rathoth College, which I'm very proud of. And I want to continue to do that and provide the facilities that are needed. And to do that, I need to get re-elected, get the number one votes from the voters of the Rathoth Municipal District and my own village of Rathoth. So I'm looking forward to that and I hope that I'll be very successful and will be re-elected to meet the County Council. Okay, the Fianna Fáil candidate with us, uh, Deirdre Garrity-Smith. Well, I've been, similar to Nick, I've been involved in community activities in Rathoth over the last kind of 15 years or so. I'm a director of the local credit union of Rathoth and Dunboyne. Um, I'm involved um, on a weekly basis with St. Vincent de Paul in the area. I think that, you know, that gives me a, a very unique um, and, and, you know, close-hand look at, at, at uh, families and how they are struggling at the moment. Um, and in a variety of other ways, you know, I've worked previously with the, the GAA and supported them in getting a bill through in the Dáil um, to reduce commercial rates. So I do have a track record of delivery as well, despite not being elected. So imagine what I might do if I were Michael um, but to be honest I really want to be a champion for um, young families on Meath County Council I think that there has been a serious lack of delivery in South East Meath and I do think that you know we need to bring a progressive approach to local representation in Rototh local electoral area I hope to be the voice to do that um, and I want to represent you know families in terms of the commuters I brought yesterday I brought uh, forward proposals in terms of flexible work arrangements and um, there is a such thing as a right to request in other jurisdictions such as Australia and the UK and I'd like to see something similar uh, introduced in Ireland and I am working closely with Billy Kelleher and with Willie O'Dea on progressing that um, and you know just initiatives like this that I think are positive progressive and modern and okay. I really uh, would like the people of Rototh to lend me their vote and okay. give me the chance uh, As indeed I'm sure all the candidates would and we'll uh, finish uh, with Maria Murphy uh, who's a Fine Gael councillor Thanks Michael as a blow into me Ethan Dunboyne mm. in 1998 mm. um, okay. a few years after that I got involved in local politics when I saw a need um, for more infrastructure and more services for my young family at the time with my three young children I was successfully elected to the Mead County Council in 2009 and again in 2014 at each election I set out my policies I have a proven track record and I have delivered I have built up relationships with local community groups I sit on the housing policy um, committee with the council Um, I'm a member of the Loud Mead Education Training Board and I've served on three school boards I have a strong interest in education I'm a voice for all all aspects of our community all the, the vulnerable from the cradle to the grave I do support rural Ireland. I do think we have to keep our rural villages alive um, and they need new blood to keep going with that, with their schools and with, I support one-off housing for families who want to live on their own land. Um, I'm asking people to give me the number one vote on the 24th so I can continue doing the work that I've been doing for the last 10 years and thanks for the opportunity, Michael. Well, thank you to thank each you of you for coming into us uh, this morning. All of the debates are on Facebook Live if you wish to give a, a nod to your supporters there in our <laughs> camera and we'll say thanks uh, 
to Finnegal's Maria Murphy, Deirdre Garrity Smith of Fianna Fáil, and independent candidates Nick Killian and Brian Fitzgerald. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody who's listening in, and thanks to those who've been in touch. Some remarks in relation to the debate, and mm. I'll just go to them first of all. Helen says, well said, Michael, my daughter rents for 1300 a month. It's absolutely madness. Tom says, the pilots are definitely an election issue, Michael. We've been let down by the Fine Gael ministers in this constituency. Dan was in touch and he says that Deirdre Garrity Smith is a breath of fresh air and it's nice to see uh, new candidates being given airtime on the programme. Mary uh, was in touch via our Facebook Live. She responded underneath it and she says that my nephew was trying to build a small standard house. He says he can't afford to rent, Michael. We don't understand uh, the difficulties that there are out there that he and his partner and two children will be homeless. Mm. Yeah. It's difficult and uh, it is one of uh, the conundrums, I suppose, that people face at the moment that whilst it is uh, cheaper for a lot of people to rent uh, or to buy than it is to rent, to pay back a a mortgage, uh, that can change overnight uh, if interest rates go up. Declan says that Rathoth is a thriving community and but the problem is that there's been a huge growth in the area of houses uh, and housing estates and doesn't feel that there's enough activity there for young people. Hmm. So I suppose you have the conundrum, haven't you? You have people complaining that they can't get houses and then you have people saying there's too many with not enough facilities. Well, exactly, yeah. And uh, they're very expensive whether there's too many or not. Yes. <laughs> uh, moving from that then and to the interview at the top of the programme regarding the drink driving. Hmm. We had a phone call from Marie who says, why can't we do something very simple? A little bit like when you check yourself for diabetes to see what the readings are, mm. says Marie. That in order for people to be able to reassure themselves that they're so worried about taking a drink and driving the next day, that there's something, you know, that we can buy one of these kits to self-check that we know will work absolutely if you're going to be driving the next morning. Uh, and maybe that the government could get involved in this by making it not too dear to buy and mm. making them available only about five or six euro or something like that. That way, she says, that people will then be responsible for their own actions and will know exactly what they are doing if they do drink and mm. drive. Okay. Yeah. Well, there are plenty of uh, kits available. Some are very expensive, some are very cheap. Uh, and uh, if uh, you are tempted to do that, uh, perhaps uh, you could do a bit of research into it uh, as well because some are said to be more reliable than others. Uh, some would be endorsed by various bodies, yes. others wouldn't. Uh, there's some that you can buy in uh, pharmacies and that yes. sort of thing. Uh, I think the Road Safety Authority has been uh, advising people against using them, uh, but it's up to everybody, I suppose. But you need to do your research into it. It'd be it. interesting mm-hmm. to try it out, wouldn't it, Michael? Mm. Uh, it, an email in from Trace who says, Michael, this nonsense and rubbish about a gap in information or legislation for people drinking and driving next morning from your guest and publicans is pathetic. It does not matter what your metabolism is or can or cannot do. If you are caught with over the limit of alcohol in your blood at any time, you should not be driving. End of story. Publicans' greed cannot be more important than any life at any time. Who is your guest trying to fool? Okay. (laughs) Michael, I drive to work every day, says a listener. It's a nightmare as I work weekends. And when you have a few drinks, I'm always really nervous the next day. Even though Mm. I do stop before 12 o'clock, you're always still worried that 
somehow you could be caught out if you haven't eaten mm. enough. I do believe that this legislation is way over the top. Okay, well they say it's nothing to do with what you eat or what you mm. don't eat uh, and it has nothing to do with when you stop. What it has to do with is how much you've had and how much time you've given for each unit of alcohol to leave your system and I suppose mm. that's the thing that Pori Crippen was saying that people can't get their heads around uh, and that a glass of wine is one unit that's and right. a pint of beer is two units a uh, small uh, measure of spirits would be one unit uh, so mm. if you have four vodkas you need four yes. hours if and you have we, four pints you need eight yes. hours that's what I because I was half listening because I was taking calls but I did hear a mention and you uh, take them up on it about the eight hours mm. that, that that's what you need to give yourself yeah time mm, exactly because I know I know um, it is something that even you have conversations with friends about people seem very obsessed with this at the moment mm. to make sure that they're not caught out another listener Martin phoned in and Martin says he's not that bothered about the drink driving he feels that speeding is the thing that we should be concentrating on in this country not so much drink driving that it's a disgrace and he doesn't think that people are being punished severely enough he's from the Castletown area and he says the amount of the amount of speeding he comes across is absolutely disgraceful Catherine says people shouldn't drink and drive full stop Michael that's the end of it if you're worried that you might be over the limit the next day well then don't drink it's mm. not going to be the end of the world, says Catherine, yeah, yeah, <laughs> if yeah, you don't yeah, have a drink. Yeah. And I think that's the point. And the Vintners are saying, well, you won't be over the limit, but you're so worried that you're not drinking, we're losing business. Yes, because... Yeah, I mean, I think that's what the yeah. problem is that they have. Yes. Mm. Uh, on posters, we've yeah. had a couple of comments in relation mm. to that. Brian says, why are they putting up posters at junctions, Michael? He's out the Longwood direction and he says there are posters at at junctions that are blocking mm. visions. There's two on top of the railway. He says, don't know how that was able to happen. And he says he's not sure why they have to have posters for a start. He feels that if someone is going to make up their mind who they're going to vote for, mm. a poster is not going to persuade them one way or the other. I think if he, there weren't posters, there'd be uh, very few people going out to vote. They wouldn't know there was an election on. That's very true. Mm. That is a good point too. And he doesn't mind so much, he says, in and around town when it's in safe areas, but not on road junctions. Yeah. Maybe uh, uh, the idea uh, that has been put forward of having designated areas for I them I think uh, that's would probably work, the way uh, to go. I definitely think a uh, poster should go up. And there is some argument, as you say, you, would, you, would you know there was even an election on it? Yeah. It's only when people see mm. posters going up, they mm. think, oh, there is an election exactly. on. If they're not really in tune, mm. if they're not listening to us every day, put it that way. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> Margo, uh, no, 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 sorry. I moved to Jacqueline because this is the same topic. Jacqueline from Navin says she's visitors home from China at the minute and she would agree totally with Michael about the election posters being unsightly. They are everywhere in Navin town and they are desperate looking and really make the town look tidy and unkempt. Candidates shouldn't be allowed to plaster them everywhere. There's absolutely no need for them, says Jacqueline. Okay. I have time for one more. Okay. PJ. PJ says, is there any need for all the posters from ground level up in places obstructing line of sight? My view is simple, Mike, Michael. If they don't think it's worth their while to call to my door, says PJ, mm-hmm. then they don't get my vote no matter how many posters they put up. Okay. So all I don't right. have his address, but if, yeah. there, if you know of any PJs and NAV and yeah. candidates listening in, make sure you call to him or there'll be trouble. Yeah, give him a knock. <laughs> all right, we'll leave it there for the okay. moment. Thanks for that, Marie. Thanks to everybody who has been in touch. If you'd like to add to us, being said, as always, our telephone number is 1850 715 958.
Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Noel Loughran joins us from Drogheda Station for the report this week. And we begin in County Meath and the theft of some power tools. Yes, uh, Garda at Ashburn Station are investigating the theft of power tools from several vans in the early hours of Friday morning last May the 10th. Uh, four vans which were parked overnight at the Pilo Hotel in Ashbourne were broken into and they had to- uh, tools stolen from them. The tools included mostly Makita power tools, cordless tools, laser levels, batteries and drills. Uh, also on Friday morning last, tools were stolen from a van in Alderbrook in Ashbourne and from a van parked overnight at the City North Hotel in Gormanston. Uh, local Guardi are asking anyone with any information regarding these thefts to contact them. They'd also like to speak to anyone who may have been offered these tools for sale over the last few days to contact them at Ashburn or Leytown Garda stations. Okay, obviously uh, quite valuable tools uh, as well. Uh, we go to Dundalk and a serious assault uh, that occurred in the town. Yes, uh, Dundalk Guardi are seeking witnesses to an assault on the outskirts of Dundalk town in the early hours of Saturday last May the 11th. Shortly after 1am on Saturday morning, a man was assaulted outside the bootmakers uh, in Marion Park in Dundalk. He'd received stab wounds uh, to his back and arm and he was taken to hospital by ambulance with serious injuries. Uh, he appears to be in, have been attacked from behind and local guardia are anxious to identify the culprits involved. Anyone who may have been in the Marion Park area in the early hours of Saturday last and may have seen this altercation is asked to contact Dundalk Garda Station. Okay, we've a, a number of burglaries uh, to report on next. Uh, they're all into commercial premises, I think, in the Mid-Loud area. Yes, uh, Guardian Mid-Loud area are investigating several break-ins to business premises in the early hours of Sunday morning last, May the 12th. Uh, the first occurred at McArdle's shop in John Kirk Park in Clarehead. Uh, entry was gained into this shop at around half three on Saturday morning. The second occurred shortly after 5am at the barber shop uh, in Drogheda Street in Cullen Village. A black car with three occupants was spotted in the area and he attempted to gain entry to the shop armed with baseball bats. Um, a short time later, the Valley Inn in Malera in Dunleo was broken into and items were stolen from the premises. Uh, three men were also seen here in a black car. Again, anybody who may have witnessed unusual activity in Cullen, Clarehead or Dunleo in the early hours of Sunday morning is asked to contact their local guard station. OK, uh, we go to County Meath uh, now where... Uh, there's been thefts from cars, indeed, uh, parts of cars that have been stolen, I think, is it? Yes, uh, Guardian Leighton and Trim have taken reports over the weekend of catalytic converters being stolen from cars in the Grange Rat and Trim Town areas. Uh, both of these cars were Toyota cars and they were older models, uh, over 10 years old. Uh, two cars were also broken into in the Slain area on Saturday afternoon after, afternoon, sorry, last uh, at doubt. Uh, with the good weather back again and people out and about more, we'd remind people not to leave any belongings visible in your car when parking at beaches and visitor attractions in the region. OK, and we've uh, a couple of uh, serious incidents uh, to report on next that people might have been hearing about over the course of uh, the last number of days. Uh, we begin with a, a firearm being discharged in Dundalk. Yes, Dundalk RD are seeking information following a firearm incident in the town on Sunday last May the 12th. Shortly after 1am on Sunday morning, Gardaí received reports of shots being fired at a house in Rockfield Manor on Highs Lane in Dundalk. Luckily there were no injuries reported, uh, but a small dark 
people carrier was observed leaving the area at the time. A guardian would like to speak to anyone who may have any information regarding this. Okay, and we're going to conclude uh, this week with uh, an aggravated burglary. Again, this occurred in Dundalk. Yes, on Sunday evening last May 12th, Dundalk Gardaí received the report of an aggravated burglary at Headford on the Mount, Ave- on Mount Avenue in Dundalk. Just after 8pm on Sunday evening, a lady heard a noise while she slept. She went to investigate and was confronted by a man in her house who threatened her and stole items from her house before leaving through the front door. This is a very frightening experience for this woman and Gardy are anxious to identify this man. We've no description at present, but anyone who may have seen a man acting in an unusual manner in the Headford Estate on Mount Avenue at around 8pm on Sunday evening is asked to contact Dundalk Garda Station. And of course, and for this or any other crime mentioned today, we can also be contacted on our confidential line, which is one 800 Treble 6, Treble 1. Garda Noel of uh, Drogheda Garda Station, thank you indeed. We'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, we've just a, a couple of minutes left with you today, so uh, let's use uh, that time to hear from you again, uh, and you've uh, some more calls. I have indeed, Mary. Michael. Mm-hmm. Still some more on the posters. It's oh, definitely okay, nice yeah. and a bit of response. Catherine phoned in and she says, you're right, Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> yeah. If there were no mm-hmm. election posters up, I wouldn't really know there was an election on and that's mm. been straight she says it makes me think about it and I suppose to go looking and see who I'm going to vote for because I do always vote mm. says Catherine it's important to me Peter phoned in and Peter says that he's been enjoying the election debates thanks Peter oh, good, and yeah. is wondering mm-hmm. are we going to be given any coverage to the divorce referendum he says that there's not much coverage about it in the media and he would like to lo- know a little bit more about it yeah we will indeed Peter absolutely uh, that's uh, before we go out to vote on Friday of next week. That's right. Paddy lives in the Sandpit area of County mm. Louth and he said he has a problem Michael and it's the politicians are now calling to his door. Yeah. He says that so far he's had two callers. One that he actually was able to have a chat with mm-hmm. and the other who left a flyer. Right. And he says that unless he gets talking, he's a bit like PJ, mm. unless he gets talking to them face to face, he won't be giving them the vote. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Paddy and Sandpit yeah. for the, the candidates in Drahada yeah. Royal. Okay. <laughs> Some of the candidates actually have been telling me that uh, they've gone to doors uh, and they say that they don't want any election material, no uh, flyers or anything like that. And other doors uh, have signs up saying no canvassing. Okay. <laughs> Believe it or not. I remember yeah. for the general election when I went down mm. doing on the, one of the, the times on the hustings and I went around the last general election and we came across one house that had that. Right. But they okay. had, mm. they actually just didn't say no candidates. They had no candidates from certain parties. Mm. So yeah. well, that's, that's the way they put it. You know, you're, wasting, you see, you're wasting your time if you call here, basically. Yeah, uh, you see some of uh, the... Uh, countries in the world where people don't have a vote we are lucky to have a vote and don't forget that people died uh, to get that vote for us Uh, blood was shed and so on uh, and it is a very important thing to exercise your democratic right Moving on then and going back to our interview at the top of the programme in relation to the drink driving Mm. Uh, Maria got in touch and Maria says that I am enjoy a drink at the weekend Michael but if I am going to drive the next day I will stop earlier when I'm out so I suppose your publicans do have a point if people are out and they know they're going to be driving the next day they may not have the extra one or two drinks but really is it that is it that big of a deal to the publicans because you know that people are going to be going driving safely and surely that's the most and the most important part of it all Alright well we'll make that the final word on the programme because our time has run out on 
on us uh, today. Thanks for that, Marie, and everybody who has been in touch. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cartmacross Cross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmacross Cross Credit Union, O'Neill Street, or CartmacrossCU.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.